Hey everybody, before we get started, I wanted to thank you all personally for listening to the Car Stories podcast and making it as successful as it's been over the last year. I also encourage you to please share it with a friend, subscribe, and rate us on iTunes. Now, let's start the show. For the Peterson Automotive Museum, this is Car Stories. My name is AJ. Today I am joined with Gail Banks. Gail, thank you so much for coming in. It's a pleasure, AJ. Uh, I'm a very big fan of yours, and I've got a million nerdy tech engine questions to ask you. But before we get too far into that, let's go back to the very beginning. All right. Uh, What is your earliest automotive memory? Oh, uh, my earliest automotive memory is uh, driving over to Las Vegas about 1949. Uh, of course, I'm a kid. I'm in the back seat of my dad's 48 Chevy four-door, and uh, it kicks a rod out uh, some, somewhere on Baker Grade, and these people in the Cadillac had a rope, or we had a rope, and they, t- they towed us into Vegas. I got to sit in the back of the Cadillac eating chocolates with a lady. Mm. And, you know, that was a great experience. I, yeah. I, re- I remember the chocolates very well. Do you remember the the breakdown specifically and and sort of, you know, what went into having to fix it? Oh, well, my dad was a wrench, uh, among other things. Uh, And it it, it involved uh, all the way down to the crankshaft. In other words... We pulled the engine, and he... There was a lot wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah. It it wasn't the best trip to Vegas. No. (laughs) We were there for a while, but luckily, our family, uh, we have a lot of family in Vegas we have for years. Well, was he an engineer, and did by trade, did he work on cars? Did you sort of grow up around the working on of cars? So, in World War II, well, first of all, most anybody uh, who grew up in the 20s and 30s, as as he did, uh, had some... uh, love with automobiles. Uh, they weren't something everybody could afford. Uh, and they couldn't afford very good ones, so they worked on them. You know, they'd buy something and work on it. So he was kind of a natural uh, wrench. In World War II, uh, he was the motor pool sergeant on the Osaka Air Base when they rebuilt Osaka Air Base after World War II. Everything that didn't fly was under his charge. Uh, so he was the NCO in charge of ground-based vehicles. So were you, when, as a kid when you were growing up, were you growing up sort of around car culture? Were you? Yeah. You know, it's hard not to, you know, we, uh, I was born in Hollywood Presbyterian, so I'm a L.A. guy. Uh, we lived in Edendale, um, which is where Max Sennett uh, had his movie studios. You see, Hollywood is a construct that didn't exist. It it was a, it was a uh, Hollywood land. It was a housing development. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie stuff kind of started on Glendale Boulevard near Sunset in Edendale, which is Echo Park, Silver Lake, that area. Uh, there were a lot of movie stars who had really fancy cars, so I w- was attracted to that. Some of them had very fast cars. I was attracted to that. Our family company, Banks Interiors, run by my uncles, and at one time my dad, was one block from Max Sennett's studio. So, and Max Sennett, of course, was Keystone Studios. Mm-hmm. Uh, us older folks remember dimly those, de- those, de- those days. So, you, you, and then you had the hot rod culture. The guys coming back from World War II, 
uh, my dear friend Alex Exidius, uh, who, who had SoCal Speech Up over in Burbank. Uh, you know, a lot of older guys in my area, we moved to Linwood uh, in 1946, and uh, everybody raced everybody, uh, and, and it, it got into this disease where you raced for money, uh, which I, I made a lot of money in the early 60s racing what today are, you know, superstock cars on yeah. the street. Uh, Chevy 409s, Ford 406s, and the 427s. Um, but, you know, you sp once you've seen a hot rod, if you're, if, if you're a California guy and it's the 50s, um, it was one of these deals. Where I went to high school, Linwood High School, uh, if you had a car, you had dates. Yeah. If you yeah. had a hot rod. Most high schools, that might still be yeah. the case. But, but I, I will tell you this. The dates got more interesting if you had a hot rod. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to go any deeper no, than that. No, but I, I so. completely understand uh, where you're coming from and, and where you're going with that. What originally drew you, because I read online, you, I, I guess, you took apart your mother's Model A. Actually, it was a forced kind of deal. Uh, she, she'd blown the head gasket. She didn't blow the head gasket. Yeah. Uh, the head gasket blew. And uh, my dad kind of, it's about 1954, he says, you, you, you're going to fix this. And was this your first time ever wrenching on a car? Yeah. And yeah. so so you you didn't you didn't have that sort of natural curiosity of I want to go work on something but your father said like it or not we're going to work on this well, car. Well one of the, one of the things that they, uh, he, he was also an incredibly skilled carpenter. Uh and he he enlisted me in to build a house up uh in the mountains above San Bernardino back in the 50s. So I learned that before I learned to work on a car. So you were, you're good with your hands. You, you... Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> but I, I do think there, there are people that, and I'm sort of always envious of these people, are I, I think there are people who just naturally have a gift to take apart things and put it back together uh, and to be able to see something and know what it's going to look like. Um, and then there are people like myself who, who, you know, don't have that inherited ability. It sounds like... You might not have known it, but you did have that inherent ability to work on things. Yeah, and 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 really, if that Model A uh, at thirty one turned out to be uh, have a four-port Riley overhead valve conversion, uh, Wyco magneto ignition, which I drove off the front timing case, uh, two Winfield uh, E series carburetors. Uh, my own, my I welded up my first header uh, with using coat hanger for welding rod, lots of sparks. So and 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 this is all done by about 1956. And how how are you sort of learning how to get more power out of this engine at the time? You know, the talk was uh, and and I got a thing going on Facebook about uh, when I first got into turbocharging. What spike that i had this insane quest for knowledge of world war ii aircraft engines not jets recips v12s commonly mm -hmm. uh the allison the merlin the griffin uh those and, and and of course we didn't have a lot of information on what the germans had uh but we sure did on what the english had uh so 
you know, I, I would go to Compton Airport uh, and wash planes to, to get an airplane ride. I'd ha hang out over uh, near the Skunk Works, uh, the Lockheed facility, uh, buy surplus right in the same neighborhood. There were some wicked surplus uh, outfits there. My first build of a vehicle, now, now that I'm talking about the surplus guys that used to be in, in Burbank, uh, was an electric car. I built a three-wheeled Really? Electric vehicle. Uh, and I think this was about the same time, same year that I sold my first engine, 1958. But earlier in 58, I had built this three-wheeled vehicle, and I radio controlled it uh, with pulse-coded uh, 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 commands. And I, and I encoded those commands with an old rotary dial from a telephone. So, and, and those, you dial, it, it would give so many pulses over my radio control and the receiver would pick up those pulses and I had a stepper switch like would be in a phone central office mm -hmm. uh, in the vehicle and the vehicle was a 28 volt you know I had a it was the power was a landing gear retracting motor off of a World War II fighter so it ran both directions and had an electric clutch mm -hmm. two horsepower 28 volt and um, the steering was an aileron trim motor, which the motor turned like 14,000 RPM, and the output shaft turned about 1.5 RPM. Little tiny thing making gear, geared up to make a lot of torque, so I steered with that. I could turn the lights on and off, left, right, start, stop, wow. uh, forward, reverse, all through this pulse code. And I put a motor, uh, hand mower deck behind it and mowed my, my folks' front lawn sit, sitting on the porch. <laughs> So that was my first car. It was an electric car. Yeah. Uh, and it was a radio-controlled one. Yeah. Yeah. I was a science fair guy. I'm a nerd. No. You know? uh, no. Well, you are a nerd, and, and I mean that in the nicest way. We didn't have way. that word. I, I, but I mean yeah. that in the nicest, most complimentary way possible. But we, as you're figuring these how – are, how are you figuring these things out, figuring out uh, – to build these electric engines and change these pulses mm -hmm. and then start, you know, how did, and then you now are going in, you go from that into, I'm going to build race motors and forced induction and mm -hmm. turbocharging, which in the fifties was, I, I assume a, on, you know, for street application was a pretty rare. Yeah. You know, none of my engines used forced induction until 1960. Okay. Uh, and in 60, uh, I built an engine for a fellow that, uh, trying to think of a Jack. Uh, anyhow, he became the president of the LA Roadsters in later years, a very famous club that's still around yeah. today. Uh, at any rate, he was building a boat, uh, an R&R hull, beautiful wood boat. It looked like a cabinet maker's dream inside. It's just gorgeous. With a nail head Buick V8, uh, and he wanted to supercharge it. Uh, and uh, so I went to Craiger, Bell Auto Parts, and Jod Horn there, uh, who was one of my mentors, uh, helped cobble up a blower drive for it, front gear case and all that. And so, so I put a 671 on a nailhead V8 in a boat in 1960, 61, somewhere in there. And um, I mentioned earlier about the surplus. I, I, I bought a lot of the surplus parts to build my little electric tractor. Uh, in surplus places right uh, all around the Lockheed Skunk Works. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that happened there is that Kelly Johnson 
and his crew came up with a P-38, which was a twin boom, twin engine, very high-performance fighter of World War II. Um, we had the P-51, which is also a milestone. The P-51 in its first in, 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 incarnation it was a P-51A. Uh, this is a prop-driven, incredibly fast and maneuverable uh, protector of bombers in the Pacific Theater and in the uh, European Theater. It was it shortened the war by years. Mm -hmm. uh, so the original one had a supercharged Allison B-12 aircraft engine. Its combat ceiling was about 15,000 feet. Uh, not too impressive, but it wasn't well supercharged. Later, uh, they did the, the P-38, and uh, they used the Allison and the P-38, only they turbocharged the same engine. The service ceiling of a P-38 is 44,000 feet. And that's due to the turbo? In my mind, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have found since any place, any racing area where I've built racing in engines, I tend to like endurance racing, although I've been known to build a top fuel car, mm -hmm. also with turbos. Uh, and that's a, a story for another one, one of these. I got turbocharging band in it, top fuel in an HRA. Well, congratulations. At, 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 at the right hand of Wally Parks. He oh, did it personally I, I, in I'm his office. I'm sure <laughs> there are still some builders cursing your name to this day. I don't know about that. Uh, he just didn't want an unfair advantage on any, anybody. I wanted, to, I wanted to be the first guy to go 300 with a top yeah. fuel car. That didn't happen. Uh, although we built the car and it ran well, we didn't get to run it in the event. Um, it was called the Banks Pacemaker. If anybody's Googling around, there might be something out there. Uh, so I was keenly interested in turbocharging. Uh, and Blackie's surplus over on Alameda uh, had one of them, had one of these engines on a skid. And when I was, when I was a kid, uh, I, would, I would go to Blackie's to buy various things I needed to build my electronic or my hot rod projects because surplus stores worked both ways, cars mm -hmm. or electronics. And uh, he had this engine sitting there out of a P-38 sitting on a skid with a turbo on it, uh, 400 bucks. Might as well have been 4 million bucks. And yeah. You know, there's no way I could buy that thing. I, I, I wrote recently I, I, I wanted the engine, but I lusted after the turbocharger. That was it. That was the magic bullet, and that has kind of defined my automotive career on the air density side because what happens is turbochargers and superchargers are producers of air, greater air density. And you, you go, okay, what does that mean? Well, if you've been to the pike, top of Pikes Peak, and I've raced Pikes Peak, both open wheel, open class, and also with a super turbo diesel semi-tractor, fastest one, one ever to go up the mountain. Because if you're going to do it, you might as well do yeah, it. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, you might as well. Uh, anyhow, the, the, the whole deal with air density is you get to the top of Pikes Peak and you've lost about half of it. So you breathe in the same lung capacity and then you fall on your face because there's not enough oxygen per cubic foot of air up there. And it's turbocharger heaven. The first test of a turbocharged aircraft engine at altitude happened on the back of a five-ton truck with an aircraft engine bolted to the bed of the truck, prop on it, drove it to the top of Pikes Peak, and tested a turbocharged aircraft engine for the first time at altitude. 
to see to see what the how well it worked there. and it worked well and, uh, and I to my memory uh, it was General Electric that, w that that was doing the project as, in terms of the turbochargers so then they installed the engine this is this is way back this is like I'm gonna say in the late 20s uh, they installed the engine and I think the altitude record at the time was uh, with a naturally aspirated aircraft engine because there were no turboed ones uh, it was like 17,000 feet or whatever. They doubled it. I mean, the thing went 30,000. If it was yeah. 17, they went. My numbers might be wrong, and there are people who are listening to this who know the correct numbers, but it was a remarkable difference. Yeah. What did the turbo do? It took the low-density air at high altitude and compressed it so that you had more pounds per cubic foot uh, of air, somewhat similar to sea level, or you could even go go above the air density at sea level. Superchargers increase air density. That's the deliverable, denser air. The delivering mechanism is called boost. But boost, if, if you boosted low density, if the boost result is low density air, you're not getting there. If a boost result is high density air, boost it, cool it in an intercooler, Whammo, high density air, same boost. You can have two identical engines. I mean identical. One with a poor turbocharging system and one with a good one. Or one with a supercharging system that's poor versus a good one. Same boost, one will make more power than the other, significantly more if you've done your job right. Doing that job, the turbocharger defines my career on the mechanical side. And y so you've you've sort of discovered you've learned about the aircraft application and you went L let's put this in cars that's let's exactly start building it. race motors exactly and when what were those first big projects you were doing with the turbocharger yeah uh i i've been a customer of general motors uh i'm an engine customer a direct engine customer of general motors and I've distributed banks-built uh, versions of General Motors uh, all over the world for decades. Uh, we were the power, our twin turbo marine engines were the power option uh, all over the world. Now the diesel guys are asking for the same thing. Uh, we're doing a super turbo diesel thing. Um, so it was a marine engine. Uh, the first thing that I really did that was seriously turbocharged was a marine engine. And uh, it was a big block Chevy, 427-inch engine uh, that I'd softened up the compression ratio on and uh, got a couple of uh, turbochargers that were similar to the ones that were on the Corvair turbos in the mid-60s. Uh, mid mm -hmm. uh, this is a similar time frame. The fellow who was the uh, kind of the president of the TRW turbocharging operation, our chief engineer would be more appropriate. Hugh Mac Ennis was his name. Uh, he uh, kind of helped me get some turbochargers, and we started fooling around, and I took it to uh, built this engine up. Uh, I've just found a picture of it, by the way, yesterday, uh, which I'll be putting up on Facebook in my next uh, post. But Took it over to Ryan Falconer's uh, dyno uh, in West L.A., and it had a 1,000-pound scale on it. like a It was a Heenan Froud 
very fine dynamometer. And it had a scale, like a meat scale or a produce scale you, you used to see in the market, big mm -hmm. Toledo scale. And it had a 1,000 pound foot uh, capacity. Uh, I said, let's pay, take a poke at 4,000 RPM. Ran the thing right off the end of the scale, over 1,000 pound feet. First time I'd ever poked a, a turboed engine. And I went, how am I going to get rid of some of this? This is too much. I got to back this thing down. Yeah, you got to detune it. Yeah, and at that point I went, "Oh my god, oh my god, this is way better than any of the blown things I'd done." Mm -hmm. And uh, and the thing I also like about a turbocharger is I'm a student of the microprocessor. I build a lot of tuning equipment for diesels and for other things, uh, and. I can use the microprocessor to control the density or the speed of the turbocharger uh, pretty, pretty well. Uh, so it's like you can't control the speed of a supercharger relative to the engine. It's a ratio that's fixed. It's belt drive, chain drive, gear drive, it's fixed. Mm -hmm. With a turbocharger, if you want more downstairs, I can give it to you downstairs. If you need more speed of your turbo, uh, at high altitude, I I can correct for altitude. The blower won't do that. So this thing is such a versatile tool, and the and the, you know, we've been controlling them for decades now. With circuitry, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it makes it makes for a pretty exciting deal. Uh, so that was a long answer uh, to a short question. Uh, basically, first blown engine around sixty, uh, first turbo. Screwing with an automotive-style engine with turbochargers in mid-60s. And then you started to go racing. You did a lot of land speed stuff. Yeah, uh, actually, I... Uh, you've, you set it and broke a lot of records. Yeah, we've. I've been really... Uh, uh, I, I don't... You know, I've, I've been blessed. Uh, whether it's boats or, or cars or Pikes Peak or you know, trucks at Baja or whatever the hell it is. Um, I've had very good people, people work for me. And, uh, you know, I, I come up with an idea a minute. I cannot shut it off. I, I don't, it, it, I wake up in the middle of the night and, and I get, fire up my phone and go in the notes field and take notes. Mm -hmm. uh, better than the old paper I used to use. But the, the point is, yeah, we've done well, um, I think my first record was early 60s at Bonneville, sea gas with a 53 Studebaker coupe, which is, to me, one of the magic cars in my lifetime. It, uh, you know, if you look at Hot Rod, and you'll have some here at the Peterson, the gestation was, you know, Model Ts that you hot rodded, Model 32 Fords, uh, later Model Coupes, um, Roadsters, of course, the 32 Ford, I always visualize a Roadster. Um, and... Then we got into these cars that kind of weren't too aerodynamic. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of all of this, Studebaker was struggling for survival. Uh, they hired a guy named Raymond Lowy, and Raymond Lowy and his uh, crew designed the 53 Studebaker Starlight Coupe. The aero advantage of a 53 Studebaker over anything that existed up to that time was insurmountable. There's no way in the same class with the same amount of power that you could beat a 53 Studebaker. Uh, so because it could just cut through the air yeah. so much better. And it was kind of a narrow car, but also very aerodynamic. Yeah. Uh, 
And it looked like somebody from another dimension had delivered that car to the earth. It yeah. was that foreign. Uh, but it's, it's timeless. It's beautiful. Um, only a guy like I had dinner with Sid Mead last night. I don't know if you know who he is. He's visual futurist. Uh, uh, his first work that uh, that really pops is Blade Runner. Okay. Uh, yeah, and then on from then, if you, he just did one for uh, Disney uh, that was in the theaters a few months ago, a space movie. Okay. I'm trying to think of the name of it. Anyhow, uh, he would have come up with a fifty-three Studebaker because he's a visual futurist. Yeah. And I'm hoping to engage him here at the Peterson um, because he defines something that should be added here. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Board of direct Directors, I'm not pushing you. But <laughs> <laughs> we need to talk. We need to bring Sid over for a little interview. I would love He'd to, be a good one for him. you, man. He'd be good for in, this yeah. podcast. Oh, my God, he's a wicked chat. So the 53, I, I built the small block Chevy that, you know, and went down and bought a 327 engine at the dealership, a new one, and uh, took it all apart and made it a racing engine uh, with Hillborn injection on it and what have you, and went and got the sea gas uh, record. Yeah. What What have have been some of your most memorable records? And is there anything left out there, land speed? Some of them that uh, you want to do, uh, or, or, or yes, I want. Mile, I or, want the diesel land speed record. I have a streamliner for that purpose. You do. What it, What is the record now? Three fifty flat. And you you are are you in the process? Well, of? my liner's been three eighty two with a get this with a like an early Desoto. Uh, like a 280-inch early DeSoto Hemi uh, with a 1271 on it and about 30% nitro. Uh, ran a 382 with a transmission, which was a three-speed turbo hydro with a torque converter. This thing is a dart. So we're making it modern now. Mike Cook has had it, and, and I've, I've been kind of ignoring it the, the last couple of years because I've had quite a military engine uh, program going. Mm -hmm. uh, we we are tier one supplier of diesel engines to the military, V eights and V sixes. You you did a lot of retrofitting of like uh, Humvee and we still do. You, you, you yeah. In fact, I just the Saudis are uh, we're, we're working with them to upfit their Humvees too. And is that also the altitude again? Like you were saying with the hey, you, get this. This is a great little I yeah. Uh, there's a I have a friend. His name is Paul Dollenbach. And his family, his father, uh, quite the racer. Uh, and Paul is quite the racer. He's probably one. Um, Reese Millen is probably Paul's equal. Okay. Uh, although Paul drove the same car uh, a year later and beat Reese's time with the same exact car by slightly, a few seconds, uh, on, on, the, on that course. We did an open-wheel car. Uh, they, they had been running it naturally aspirated with a, a small block Chevy and an open wheeled Pikes Peak car. Now these are like Indy cars, uh, uh, 15, 20 years ago, you know, the look, uh, wings, this, that, uh, but specific, specifically uh, configured for Pikes Peak. So they are the, the badass cars on the mountain. Uh, the guy who owned the car, uh, that Dahlenbach racing was running, uh, asked us to turbocharge it. Well, at the same time, I was trying to work out high-altitude turbocharging 
for Afghanistan. Um, and because we were, you know, we didn't have, uh, the Humvees did not have adequate power. Just to sort of give everyone a backstory, Hummers naturally aspirated, uh, although behemoths well, of cars, not I, a ton of horsepower. The early Hummers are naturally aspirated, but all the ones that are in service out of the quarter million that military yeah. has, probably 220,000 of them are uh, the, the the dominant majority today are turbocharged, and, but that's because when you go to Afghanistan, when you go to to these high altitude places, a a heavy naturally aspirated engine just isn't going to work. Well, so the you, same the, the the turbocharging was ill conceived on the six point five liter diesel. Uh, was is they still will build you a new one with the same engine? It doesn't compensate for altitude worth a damn. You know, they did something to control the speed of the turbocharger. That took away the, the, that advantage that a turbocharger has. Uh, we have deep history with that engine. That's the original engine that GM asked me to turbocharge from Rain use in 1978-79, mm-hmm. when, when it wasn't even in a uh, truck yet. Uh, it was not originally. Uh, they did not turbocharge those engines until about uh, 89. But And that's why you yeah. were brought in to, to yeah, help Yeah, actually, this on the Humvees, uh, Schwarzenegger... Uh, got me into it. Really? Yeah, when he was doing that Terminator, his first Terminator movie. Mm-hmm. It's about the time that uh, I don't. The backstory is I think he kind of irritated the, them into doing a civilian Humvee. Well, that is is the backstory. Yeah. I don't know how irritated, but um, well, yeah, the, the know, story always he, goes. He is, was very big in that. In is, those years. He was such a fan of the car oh, that, of that he persuaded him to yeah. make a civilian version. Yeah, and then he persuaded persuaded me to do a turbo package for them. So we turboed a few thousand of those things before they came out with their own turbo. Uh, so we're in the midst of that right now. We're in, we're in the midst of engines to replace the engine, which, which we have. Uh, I'm, we're the worldwide uh, distributor for Duramax-based engines for General Motors. Mm-hmm. Uh, we developed our own engine management, uh, which, which GM didn't have the time to do. They said, you do this, you can do this engine business. So we're doing that. Uh, we're the we're the engine provider for Oshkosh Truck on a new joint light tactical vehicle program. And what so, about for guys like me, or you yeah. know, just anyone who who has a truck out there or who has something? Because you, you do a a huge line of just sort of off the shelf. It's kind of interesting. We 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 just took a tour here at the museum, kind of a backside thing to see how how its underpinnings are being done and mm-hmm. what the final visual will be. Uh, the guy I sat at the table with uh, at, at lunch um, had been to my shop 10 years ago. I hadn't met him then. He's just bought a new Cummins-powered 2015 motorhome. And he said, uh, everybody we talked to says, you're the guy. Uh, we don't have a lot of competition in the endurance engine business. Uh, there's lots of guys hot rod diesels. Uh, not many of them do them emissions legal, and not many of them do them uh, so they're durable. It's kind of a cowboy uh, deal. The reason we have such a solid following in motorhomes since 1974, uh, tracking from the first fuel crunch, we came out with mileage improving and power-improving stuff called Power Pack, Banks Power Pack. That's our trademark. 
and um, although other people do use the term illegally. <laughs> uh, anyhow, um, we've been doing motorhomes ever since, and we have an allegiance there that is just astounding because we don't break them. Uh, so the direction we're going with this, though, it, it, we do a lot of diesel stuff. It's all about air density and fuel efficiency. The air density aspect starts at the nose of the vehicle. I've been a big student of ram air. Cold air induction is a key for any engine. It's a key for your Ford Focus. We could probably slightly improve that Focus, although there's uh, no turbocharger. Uh, Yet. Yet. Well, yeah, yeah. I haven't come There's to always visit this you. qualifying term. I haven't come to visit you yet. <laughs> yeah. And, man, am I all over automotive right now. Yeah. Well, what so. what is – because I, I think it's, it's – it's, I don't know if it's cyclical or it's – you're in vision of these, you know, high-output twin-turbo. You aren't necessarily the there's-no-replacement-for-displacement guy. You are the, hey, guys, we could have a – Twin turbo V6 that will outperform any 427 big boy. Well, you know what? You know what? I do like the 427. You just said my favorite number. That is my favorite number. But where I'm going with it is, you know, like you see I, the trucks now. You see, you know, Chevy just released a diesel Colorado. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the EcoBoost V6 twin turbo um, F150 the, that. It, I, I drove mine, the aluminum truck. Yeah. Uh, to do a Hooniverse podcast yesterday with uh, Chris Hayes and Jeff Glucker. Okay. Yeah. I have one of them. Uh, I've got loose turbos coming. I'm going to have my way with that whole program. Are you just having a field day with sort of these new cars of the diesels and the turbos? Because it seems like this was something that was Europe 10 years ago with their cars are now these power plants are sort of just coming here. I I hate to say this, but... the German general public is more enlightened automotively than our general public. Well, I don't think uh, we can. We haven't until maybe the gas crunch now, or or we see the success of Tesla. Mm-hmm. Um, we couldn't wrap our minds around why we need a diesel Mercedes or why we need a diesel. It'd be, you know, diesel was it was a truck. It was a truck that was going to last a million miles. Europe. Not in Europe. But here. Yeah. But it was a truck. It was good for hauling. It had well, tons we, of torque, the, and that's the problem, all we knew. The problem, you know, I'm talking about these guys that tune diesels are cowboys. Yeah. Smoke is a negative legacy of diesel. Mm-hmm. And smoke, early non-microprocessor, uh, uh, mechanically controlled uh, diesel engines, had their fueling issues. My my best but, friend has an eighty uh, Mercedes three hundred TD, so I'm well aware of oh, oh, of the diesel oh, well, early well, yes, diesel issues. Well, hopefully, he has not been to Lovecraft to have him put the greasel in it. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, I I, 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 he brings it up every now and then, and I keep saying no. Just tell him it. The answer is no, just, no, and no. Just drive just your drive car, it. drive no. it, and enjoy it. The point is this: uh, today. Uh, I've had a lifelong relationship or career-long relationship with Robert Bosch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Bosch is a monstrous company. They have 60-some thousand people just in the diesel uh, engineering and uh, engine management, what have you. Uh, and a- I'm an ab- advocate of efficiency any way you can get it. Diesel, diesel is so naturally efficient, it's mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... 
I'm also an advocate of a 427 twin turbo small block, which I'm building for Hot Rod Magazine right now. Okay. An anniversary gasoline twin turbo, soft, thousand horse, nothing, nothing nuts. No, 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 no. yeah, just a modest every, every thousand day, horsepower. Everyday driver. Yeah. Everyday driver. This is something you. We built tuner cars back in the 80s, which were 700 horse, gasoline twin turbos, uh, Camaros, Firebirds, some Corvettes. Um, one of them went uh, 204 miles an hour when tested by car and driver. This is a street car. Mm-hmm. We were 41 miles an hour faster than anything they tested up to that time. Wow. Uh, we had the first honest 200-mile-an-hour cover. It's on the cover of the magazine, June of 84, uh, out on Mrs. Orcutt's driveway uh, out in the desert. Are you impressed with the this horsepower renaissance we're having? Yes. It, is, does it excite you, or do you see well, it as something? Well, think, think of it this way. The Hellcat has the same horsepower as I had in 1983. Well, that that's what and blows you think, my mind. You think I like that 700 horse? Hey, you know that's the price of admission today. Great, I'm going to up it to a thousand horsepower. And, and I imagine in '83, your 707 horsepower didn't have air conditioning. Yes, uh, it did. Navigation. I had. I didn't have nav. I, well, no, but nobody you know had I mean? nav. But, but I had have... full creature comforts. These were not jokes. These were not hot rods. These were gentlemen's cars. One of them traded hands at Barrett-Jackson two or three months ago. They're out there and running with hundreds of thousands of miles on them at 700 horsepower. So then you're not surprised that what we're doing now, what the auto industry is doing now. Have you seen the performance numbers on a new Z06 Corvette? What's a quarter mile? 11-something at 120-something? My cars ran 1095 at 129. That was the right out of the box, right there, 129, 130. Uh, they ran, we were the first to break 1G on the skid pad with street tires. That was done at the Shelby Chrysler facility with, with current driver there. Um, we set the all-time slalom record with one of our Firebirds, Colin Driver's all-time slalom record against all foreign comers mm-hmm. and every, everything in the United States. So we had a G lateral. We had a high tens quarter mile. What did I miss? Now, about a Z06 you, Corvette. You've done well over 200 miles an hour. Yeah, and and two, and had, which is what they go today. You have air conditioning. But, but if, if, if this is 2015, so if you start and you say, okay, let's round it off, 1985, 95, 05, 15. I did it 30 years ago. That's what hot rodding is about in California. Are, but are you sort of looking at these car guys and going, you're welcome? I, you know, my, no, no, my, no, no. I'm just happy that it's happening. You're just happy to be a part we of it. We entered the dark ages back in the 80s, you but know. Do you now see like the Hellcats and the these high horsepower engines? Is there now more room for improvement? Yes, turbocharge the goddamn things. Okay. Do we have to scratch that? No. Do you want no, me to re- no, redo it? No, you I can don't normally do that. Let, let uh, your... I, I, I'm sorry, but... Let let your passion fly. My my thing has always been, and you know, I have a Ford GT. It's a '05, and you know, the back motor car. Yeah, and it's got a blower on it. It's a screw. It's a Lysholm style blower. Um, it's not an overly complex engine. Uh, well, it's a 32 valve double overhead cam has six, 16 injector yeah. nozzles. It's somewhat complex, but the blower, uh, the comple- complexity ends with a blower. I was going to twin turbo it. 
And what I'm stopped not, you? The, the fact that Ford made a statement that might, uh, you know, to me, that car is a driver's car. It, it had, there's no crutches. There's no traction control. There's no nothing. You know, it's like this is a race car on the street. Uh, the 2016 uh, repop of the same idea uh, it has race car-like horsepower, and, a, and it is a V6 twin turbo. Uh, so I ought to be real happy with that. But it's overly sexy to me. You know, I, I just like doing all the stuff. I'll, although I'm a micro, microprocessor advocate, mm -hmm. not in this case in that car. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, let the microprocessor run the engine. Okay, but let me steer it, brake it, and, and, and l let me get in over my head. If a car's not treacherous, if it can't kill you, then it's not fun to me. <laughs> you, you, you put it best there. You, yeah. You've got to know where your edge is yeah. or the car will kill you. Uh, what is your ideal? Do you have that dream in the back of your head of – because it sounds like you can get your hands on just about any car, any power plant setup. This car, this motor, this fuel, here's what I'm going to go do with it. I'm going to tell you I have this dream. And I've got a pal. His name is Larry Erickson. He used to be a stylist at Cadillac. In fact, he did uh, ZZ Top's Cadillac. What the hell do they call that? Cadzilla? Cadzilla. It's right out in the vault if you'd oh, like to okay. take a look well, at it. That's a Larry Erickson. Yeah. And then Larry went to Ford and was very involved. In fact, slept at the studio for six weeks solid getting out this new iteration of the, of the uh, Mustang. He's a friend, and I told him what I wanted to build, and it's, it is a 32 Ford Roadster that is all-wheel drive. Uh, the power plant's kind of up in the air. In fact, I, I might do two versions, but both will be super turbos. In other words, a supercharger fed by two turbochargers. Uh, I've got some ideas for, for that. Uh, I do a lot of engines for marine designs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, now we're going to get back into the marine engine business, it, it seems. Uh, but uh, both engines would be 427 cubic inches. Uh, both of them would be uh, overhead valve. One of them would be an LS6. Uh, and the other one would be a 427 uh, Duramax-based engine. So the whole idea is, to me, it's a quintessential. I've told you that that I felt that the Studebaker was more aerodynamic. Yeah, it was. And the Firebird is the new Studebaker, the 80s, 82 up Firebirds of that decade. Mm -hmm. uh, the 82 Firebird is one of the most aerodynamic cars ever built in the United States, period. I mean, and if you slick it up a little, you, your, 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 your uh, CD counts are way down. So essentially, I want to build that hot rod. I want it to be all-wheel drive. I want to be able to put the power to the ground, and that's always the challenge. My the entire career has been breaking stern drives, breaking, killing jet drives, killing gearboxes, killing differentials. If you make a lot of power, you kill things. Mm -hmm. So, the Weissman brothers have built me a couple of uh, uh, sequential six speeds, which are hopefully bulletproof. Uh, these are guys. Uh, 
who built the transmission for the uh, Teak Welch and Banks Streamliner. 20 years ago, we were going 430 miles an hour at Bonneville through one of those transmissions. That's a lot of power for yeah. the ground. So I think they've, they've built me two gearboxes. They're si- sitting in the warehouse. So I'm ready to go on this. It's just got to find the time. Because, and, and you is... know, it, it, there are so many new uh, vehicles out there. We want to do tuning on them. I've had this thing I've been doing all my career, which is water or water methanol injection. We've really refined it. This is a 100-year-old idea. Uh, really came to the fore as uh, war emergency power for the, the, those aircraft and engines we were mm-hmm. talking about earlier. Uh, they could poke them hard. It was a recip engine equivalent of the afterburner. And I found in diesel and gasoline, we're able to tune the engine where you want it, not where the emissions laws want it, mm-hmm. and still pass emissions. It's just this anti-detonant or power-enhancing water methanol injection. Uh, I'm pumped out of my gourd on this one. This is this is a biggie for us. Well, we do we do lots of tuning, handheld tuners, inline yeah. tuners, exhaust systems, charger, intercoolers, all that mechanical stuff. But really, when I really geek out, it's using electronics to control something mechanical, or in this case, this injection system. Oh my! I'm, I'm you know, I'm kind of resetting myself. Uh, career-wise. It, it's exciting to hear, and I I cannot wait to follow this process and, <laughs> and see it when it's done. Everybody, if you want to learn more about Gale Banks, uh, go to bankspower.com. There's hundreds, maybe thousands of parts and just the history and everything to make your car more efficient and better. Thank you. Uh, yeah. You can also find Gale on Facebook at facebook.com slash GaleBanksTurbo.com. Uh, so you go to Facebook. Doc, or, I'm sorry, Facebook.com slash GaleBanksTurbo, and then check them out at BanksPower.com. Gale, thank you so much for coming in. It's a pleasure. Mm-hmm.